Amen. Would you be finding 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, please? 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Let me mention one more time, uh, someone has left a Bible here in the church. If this is yours or if you know who it belongs to, uh, please help us get it to its rightful, its rightful owner. And uh, so we'll put it out in the foyer after this morning's service. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. We're going to deal with the subject of giving at least this morning. We're going to deal with it one more time. As a matter of fact, I have preached on giving all week long uh, in revival and uh, never have done that before. And God seemed to bless in spite of me doing the preaching. Um, and maybe we can say more about that in just a little bit. Would you stand with us, please? Let's read verses 1 through 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Then we'll read just a few verses out of chapter 9. And we'll deal with a little bit of what we have here in these two chapters. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Now, you can't write that on a piece of paper and make that work. Now, you can't do that. Now, that's God's arithmetic there. And it won't work for you if you try to work that out. God can make all grace to abound. He deals with that in chapter number 9. God blesses giving, and God blesses the giver. But the Bible says again in verse number 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty equaled, abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Let's read verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor. That speaks of the condescension of Christ, doesn't it? Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. For God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That is, you give, he'll see to it, you have something to give yet again. He's dealing with the subject of giving in these two chapters. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now the last verse of chapter 9, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thank you for standing. If you know anything about the book of 2 Corinthians, you know that it is a book that deals much, particularly chapters 1 through 6, with the sufferings of Paul in the ministry. 
As a matter of fact, chapter number four is Paul's faint not chapter, right? He dealt with how that uh, he fainted not in the ministry, he fainted not in the body. And he said, we faint not in light of eternity. But the natural man would have fainted under just a portion of the load that uh, Paul had to bear regarding suffering. So he deals with his sufferings over and again. In chapter number 7, his confidence is restored in the church at Corinth. As a matter of fact, that's how chapter 7 closes. There were people that had infiltrated the church at Corinth and had poisoned the minds, the thinking of some of the members. Money, as a matter of fact, in chapter 8, he addresses that. Chapter 8, about verse 16 to the end of the chapter, um, Paul deals with accountability and responsibility. And then there's an unnamed brother that was assisting as well. The unnamed brother was a brother that uh, the churches of Macedonia had recommended. And so they're the brothers three, just for checks and balances, just to make sure things are handled and things remain on the up and up. There's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with that. So Paul lets us know that what you've accused me of, uh, we, can, we can prove what has been received and we can prove what uh, has been or was yet to be delivered to the struggling saints in Jerusalem. This offering that he's talking about was taken for um, the saints that were at Jerusalem, that were impoverished. You remember the great day of Pentecost, the gospel was preached by Peter and the others. Some 3,000 was saved and people just stayed. They just remained in Jerusalem. And uh, there was a famine, there was persecution, there was much adversity. And so that left a number of the saints... Um, with great needs, financial needs, just to eat and survive. And so Paul, on his third missionary journey, he's taking this offering to take it back now to Jerusalem and disperse it among those um, that have just the basic needs, necessities of life. This had to be a pattern. This, it had to be a pattern in the early church and even in the life of the Apostle Paul. You know that the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul are recorded in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter number 11, before Paul is actually involved in ministry as far as missions is concerned, listen to what the Bible says in Acts 11, verse 29 and 30. Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief, that is, send monies, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. Uh, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas uh, and Saul. Give me that Glock you got on your side. I can fix that. I can fix that. Say goodbye to your daddy. Boy. Um, do I need to turn this mic off? Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to beat you up after the service. Um. So it must have been a pattern in the life of Paul and the apostles and the early church that when there was a need, when someone was hungry, feed them. And these two chapters give evidence to the fact that we are to bear ye one another's burdens. There's a great need in many lives. The first deacons, if they were indeed deacons, were set aside 
In Acts chapter number 6, out of this, um, these uh, adverse conditions, it's interesting these two chapters deal with giving. They do not deal with money. Money's never mentioned. It is implied. Gold is not mentioned. Silver is not mentioned. Pounds nor pence are mentioned. Talents are not mentioned. Uh, the mites, such as the widow giving her two mites, that's not mentioned, but it is implied. It is implied. Chapter number 8 begins with the impoverished believers in the churches of Macedonia. Those congregations were the congregations, the assemblies at at Philippi, at Berea, and Thessalonica. Um, They were in affliction themselves, and yet they wanted to give, and they gave. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1, 2, and 3, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on, uh, on the churches of Macedonia. That's those three congregations I just mentioned to you. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, he said, put it together, it abounded to the riches of their liberality. In other words, they gave, though they could have justified and said, we don't have to give. But yet they gave for to their power, in other words, for to their ability. I bear record, I give testimony, yea, and beyond their power. They went beyond what you would have expected them to do. They were willing of themselves. And, of course, that's key, right? Their willingness is mentioned again in verse number 12, for if there be a willing mind. And, of course, the the key to that is found in verse number 5. The Bible says in verse number 5, And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. And if you give yourself unto the Lord, then everything you possess belongs to him as well. But these two chapters are devoted to giving. Giving. A lot lot of times folk don't like the subject of giving. But it is a Bible subject. And it's part of the Christian journey. These two chapters begin with the liberality of these poor saints in Macedonia and close with the richest of all givers, and that's God. Thanks be to God, the last verse of 2 Corinthians 9 says, that thanks be unto God for his unspeakable uh, gift. It's amazing, isn't it? How God gives, as Annie Johnson Flint wrote so long ago, and out of his abundant treasure, out of his abundant store, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Um, uh, Rock Chapman, uh, we got to see his daughter saved about, three years back at Calvary in Taylorsville in a revival service. And uh, Rayleigh gets her mom and dad, if I'm preaching there close, to, to come to the services. And Rock was sitting on the back row about where Mitch Holloway is seated. And Rock got to shouting. Julie Kerrigan, Steve Dagenhart's daughter, and her family were singing about how we ought to be thankful. You know the song. There's a roof up above me and shoes on my feet. Old Rock got to shouting. He said, I, I've got shoes on tonight, church. I've got a roof over my head when I go home. I have something to eat. I'm saved, church. I'm saved. And God keeps giving, and I thank him tonight. And he got to shouting. And some of the others got to shouting. God has truly been good to all of us. This offering was being taken. Isn't it amazing how God gives when you have a need? God just gives and gives and gives and gives again. Our God is a great giving God. 
How many times have, uh, through life, how many times most of us started, like my wife and I started, with just a little bit of nothing and a whole lot more of it. And yet God just has continued to add through the years. I'd hate to have to move again. Matter of fact, I wouldn't want to move again. Uh, I'd hate to have to pack it all up. You think you don't have anything, just try to pack it all up and move it. And the psalmist wrote three times about, uh, about how that God, how that he daily loadeth us with benefits. And he's loaded you and he's loaded me. He's loaded me down quite well, right well with the benefits that he has afforded. And no matter what it is, we often sit around, Amanda and I, still, you've heard me say this over these 11 and a half years now. We still set up into the night a lot of times and talk about where God has brought us from, uh, what he's done for us, Jim, and he's done for us, and he's blessed us. And he doesn't owe us a thing, does he? He does not owe us one thing, and yet he continues to bless and be good to us. They live in the offering plate. That's what they're doing. Their lives in the offering plate. I told you long ago about Matthew Poole, and, and, and I may have even said something a week or two ago about Matthew. He has Down syndrome. He's in his 20s now. And he got ready for school his senior year. One Monday morning, got ready for school. He was supposed to have a hundred plus dollars. So his mom, Rhonda, said, now, Matthew, you have what you need for your lunch and school this week. And he said, well, I don't have anything, but I don't need any lunch this week. And she said, Matthew, you mean you don't have anything? Why don't you have anything? And he said, well, said God touched my heart and told me to put it in the mission offering for the missionary last night. And she said, uh, and Brother Scott did as well, said, now, look, we didn't have the missionary in for you to give everything you had. And he said, yeah, but he said, the evangelist just came through, and he preached out of that verse, verse 5, on living in the offering plate. And he said, I put myself in the offering plate two weeks ago, and God touched me last night and told me to give my money to that missionary that he needed it more than I did, and I don't need anything to eat at school. I'm living my life in the offering plate. And I want to tell you, it'd do you good to crawl on the offering plate. I'm not saying that you ought to give everything away. As a matter of fact, let me say this. In, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, there is no high pressure. There's no manipulation by Paul. Paul doesn't put any, put any guilt trip on anybody. He's just encouraging people to give. God has given, so you give. You help these poor saints that have a need. You, you engage in ministry. You help feed them. They have nothing to eat. You help sustain them. Help them to find sustenance. It's not because they've squandered what they have. It's not because there's some type of substance abuse going on like we see so often in our day. But, I mean, there were legitimate needs. And so the offering that was being taken, it was being taken on Paul's third missionary journey. You know as well as I that Paul, uh, there were three missionary journeys he was a part of. The first one. If it would have been in our part of the world, he would have come to Pontotoc. He would have gone to New Albany and Tupelo and Fulton, Mississippi. In his second missionary journey, he would have come back to Pontotoc and encouraged the congregation here to go to Algoma and go to Springville and go to Troy and go out to Enville and go out to Thaxton. And his third missionary journey comes back around now and checks on the churches, checks on the works. And as he does, as he goes from congregation to congregation, he receives this offering. And what this offering did was a number of things. It offered relief when they would get the money back to Jerusalem. And again, 
He's very responsible in taking the offering. He has two men to assist him, make sure everything is kept honest. Uh, but it, it would be what we would refer to today as benevolence. Um, it would offer relief to those who are hurting and struggling, assistance and help to them. But it also would help to bridge the gap, to build the relationship between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. The Jewish believers in the early church, many of them had a hard time with these Gentiles being saved by grace. They don't have to keep the oral law. They don't have to keep the traditions. They don't have to keep... You mean tell me they, they, they don't have to live as rigid a life as we have lived? And, and, so, and so instead of the Jew helping the Gentile, the Gentile is displaying the grace of God. The Gentile who's been saved and living under a lot of pressure because of the Jews and the pressure they put on them, it's the Gentiles that reach in, though they are impoverished, and give an offering. They pool their monies. They join in fellowship. That's in our text. Koinonia, they, there's a togethership, there's a partnership now as these congregations will give of their monies Gentile believers who were previously considered dogs. You read your New Testament, it's there. And here these so-called dogs, we are Gentiles by the way, they're given to the Jew and it would help to bridge a gap. It's amazing what an offering can do on so many levels. There were those that held a grudge, if you will. They were jealous. They could not believe that these men were getting in and not having to come up under the Abrahamic, the sign, the token of the Abrahamic covenant, that being the mark of circumcision. They don't have to keep all these ceremonies and offer these sacrifices now. They just come in and part of a, part of a fellowship that Christ has established. And here these people, out of the grace of God, they hear of a need and they do what God's people do. They reach into the bottom of their pockets and they get and they, they give and God blesses that. Uh, I, I could tell you things that I've witnessed over the years. I, I remember this one dear lady, she just didn't understand giving, the principle of it. Never liked anybody saying anything about giving. And someone would have a need and a special offering be taken, she'd always have something to say. And then she was stricken with cancer and had to miss some work. You say, preacher, at that time, then that means you don't give to her and teach her a lesson. A lesson was taught to her, but it was through giving. People knew exactly how she felt because she never kept a lid on it. She'd criticize giving. But then when she had a need, rather than people criticizing her and saying, let her tough it out, she's made her own bed in that regard People reached in their wallets and in their purses, and they gave, and God honored that and converted the woman, and she too uh, learned how to give. There's a church here in this county that there was a man that criticized his pastor for preaching on giving and left the church because of it, had some words with him at the door. There was a need in his life, and that pastor that got dogged for some time in the community, this man, his driveway became a mess he didn't have any gravel, and he had to park. He had to go for treatments, but he had to park way out on the road, and he got so weak. He really needed the vehicle. He needed to get off of his ramp and into his van. And the pastor who does not have a tractor asked one of the men if he could possibly borrow his tractor. He said, you can. What do you need it for? And he told him, he said, not only can you borrow my tractor, you can borrow me. I'm going with you. Well, some of the other men found out about it in the church, and they went and repaired his wheelchair ramp and 
and bought gravel and, gra- and fixed his driveway for him. And the man melted like a piece of chocolate when it uh, meets with heat. He melted and realized how critical he had been, how wrong he had been, and God converted him. And he then began in his limited way before he died uh, to try to give. It's amazing how God does that uh, through giving, isn't it? Just amazing. Of course, you, you have to have a connection to the grace of God to understand giving. You have to have been given to. Um, seven times the word grace is mentioned in these two chapters. Matter of fact, Stephen Olford those of you who, who jot down uh, book titles when I mention them, if you want to read of the grace of giving, Dr. Olford wrote a book so long ago on the grace of giving. It's an excellent read about how God has given in his grace the Lord Jesus Christ and to the cross of Calvary. And, and because of that, we learn to give. And out of these two chapters, we're instructed, and in other places as well, look at the word grace. I have it circled in red in these two chapters in my Bible. And in, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, here it is, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And that's all you can call it. That These people who are hurting, they give. Uh, they don't give until they hurt. They're already hurting, and yet they give. And it's the grace of God. The grace of God is something that God works in us and through us. It's a disposition, is it not? The more of the grace of God you experience, the more that grace comes in and through your life. And it will touch other lives. The grace, the mercy, the peace of God. As a matter of fact, God pours in us and our lives then, he touches our lives to the point of, of, of that. Whatever he's poured in us, it spills out, it pours out and touches other lives. Now, even the love of God, Romans 5 and verse number 5 says, For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And the idea is the same as that of the measure that we mentioned. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Give and it shall be given to you. Uh, Press down, uh, running over. I, I forget the exact quote. It's Luke chapter 6, verse number 38. And the idea was that measure when somebody would go to the threshing floor They have worked in the field, and so somebody puts the barley or puts the wheat, puts the grain into, maybe it is an apron, uh, an apron, or maybe it is a measure in some type of a container. And what they'll do is, after it is filled, they'll shake it uh, to fill every area, and then they add more to the point that on the trip home, it spills out and and, uh, onto the ground. And so it is with God's grace and his mercy And his love, for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You put a cat in your house, and if he sits on the couch, and your neighbor comes in, sits on the couch, well, he's going to shed, and you're going to pick up part of that cat and take him home with you. Can I get a witness? And, and, uh, And so it is with the love of God. God pours in to the point that that it pours out, that he pours out. But the grace of God, verse number 6 of chapter 8, Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. In other words, he began this offer. The grace of giving. Verse number 7. Therefore, as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. See that you abound, that you go over. Verse number 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes, thinking of you, yet for your sakes, on your behalf, he became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. Verse number 19 of chapter 8. 
And not that only, but who is also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Then in chapter 9, a couple of times, verse number 8, for God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Have you ever noticed, and I think I have mentioned this, you've probably heard others mention this through the years, givers always have something to give. They always have something to give. Brother Ken Trivet, you remember when he first came here, the first missions conference? Do you remember when he was talking about our missions offering and what we would give? And how that when they went to Pine Ridge, that's one of the most impoverished places in the United States of America. And how he began to go to work on teaching and preaching giving. And the missions giving, he and Sherry actually gave out of their support. But he wanted them to see we take an offering and we take a missions offering. And, of course, Ken and Sherry was giving the offering and giving the missions off. But those little native boys and girls, they'd get a few cents somewhere. And they would chase down the offering plate. They was, it was such a joy for them to chase. They, they couldn't wait for the giving part of the service. And they, they learned soon after the trivets begin to see some people assemble with them on Sundays before they actually established the church. They had a few that was gathering He said those little uh, Lakota Sioux children, they would chase them down and throw three cents or two quarters, and and they would smile as they'd go back. They wanted to have part in supporting the gospel. Somebody came there to preach the gospel to them and their brothers and their sisters and their mamas and their daddies, and now they're able to give something and help send it out. God's raising his church up, by the way. Joe Copley and others that have gone out west through the years, they've had to feed kids through the years they'd pick them up and a lot of them that's their main time of of having a meal is on Sundays and Wednesday have a Sunday morning Wednesday night service they feed everybody that come in there they've raised up some children who are now adults that have children brother Joe Copley helped raise up his Sunday school teachers and his leaders in his church he taught them he started when they were but children they would pick them up on a, on a van and bring them in there and preach to them. And across the years, they were saved and they stayed with him. That's missions, friend. That's missions. That's preaching the gospel and seeing souls saved. And then once those souls are saved, you help form a church somewhere where there's not a church. A lot of this that goes on in Pontotoc County is not right, friend. Tell anybody you want to. I said it. I've been saying it for years when you get a group that gets mad and goes over yonder and starts another little work somewhere, do you know there's 52 or 53 Baptist churches in Pontotoc County? We don't need another Baptist church in Pontotoc. There's nearly 90 churches, last count I had, nearly 90 churches in Pontotoc County. I talked to Rod Mattoon outside Springfield, Illinois, many years ago uh, about some things up at camp meeting in June. And he said, Preacher, we don't see that up where I'm at. I said, don't see it. He said, the nearest church to us is 30 miles away. And anyways, you do whatever you want to do with that. Verse number 14 of chapter number 9. You see the word grace again. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. By the way, all this giving, it blesses the one receiving. The one that's giving receives a blessing for giving. Uh, The only time outside the Gospels where the Lord is quoted is in the book of Acts by the Apostle Paul and uh, where he he quoted the Lord uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse number 35 to the Ephesian elders. He said, I've showed you all things 
How that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that, and it's not recorded in the Gospels. But Paul was aware of the quote. Two, the weak and the impoverished. God speaks to that over and over and over again in his word about supporting the weak and those who are poor. And God's people, some of us have talked about, and I'm just throwing some speculation out here. We've talked about who knows what's coming before this next presidential election. I mean, who knows what's coming? Something's coming. I'm convinced of it. And if I'm wrong, I don't mind apologizing to you this time next year, but something probably uh, to stop what seems to be developing in the upcoming presidential election next year. And some folk have even talked about power grids and all kind of speculation out there. And we've got two deep freezers in our home, at our house. And we've talked about, well, we better be storing up. But I'm going to tell you what God's people are notorious for doing. Whether we're hungry or we're full, if our neighbor is hungry, we help feed our neighbor. And, and that's just what's in God's, uh, God, the hearts of God's people to give to give out of our basket and to give out of our store, to give out of our pocketbooks. It's just there, and you mark it down. If folk begin to fall by the wayside because of being famished and hungry, God's people will be in the number along with that because we share what God has blessed us with. Can I get an amen? You understand what I'm trying to say there? So it is with these believers at Macedonia. Now, let let me say two or three things, and then I want to close with with, with two or three illustrations of a main. Notice how Paul writes about cheerful giving. Cheerful giving. He mentions the joy of these Macedonians uh, in verse number two. Again, to read the verse, we've already read it a couple of times. And then to look at chapter nine, verse seven, where he talks about the cheerful giver. Verse number two, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. I remember just this entered my mind before I resigned out at Hurricane years ago. I, there were five men I called on a Saturday, and I told them it was in my heart to resign. And I said, you talked me out of it. Dana Williams one of them. And he said, I'm going to tell you something, preacher. He said, if you try to work it out on paper, it'll never work. And he said, you get a good salary, and if you're going to try to make that work, it ain't going to work on paper. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, I missed the Lord for two years in my life. He said, I missed the Lord for two years. He said, God told me to resign and go into evangelism and I couldn't make it work. He said, my bills and what I felt like I'd be receiving, living off offerings, going from revival to revival. And he said, what I did was, he said, I cheated Esther and me out of blessings for two years. He said, God will take care of you. And if I told you some of the ways that God took care of my wife and me and Matthew and Anna was still at home and little back then, If I told you what God did for us at the right time, the right amount came in, it was almost like we were climbing a ladder, and every time we needed strength for the next rung to climb, God met the need. I'm talking about right down to plumbers and electricians, and and, uh, and I I remember, I remember, Johnny and Wanda will remember this, Dave and Peggy Box will remember this, Betsy, I don't know if you were out at Inville at the time, if you wasn't, you ought to have been. We didn't say anything to the kids. We didn't say anything to to Matthew nor Anna. But we didn't have anything left. We didn't have anything left. 
I think Daryl and Cynthia showed up over there that Sunday, and I don't know how y'all knew about the service. But Brother Tracy Quillen learned of our needs, and I don't know how he knew about it. And he asked me if I had a Sunday open, and I said, yeah, I've got a Sunday open. He said, I want you to come preach at Envil. And I did. I just went and preached at Envil. I didn't know anything was going on. There was an offering taken that day that amounted to over $5,000. There was, there was a pounding, and the pounding was so much, we had, a, we had a van, a minivan. And the pounding was so much, we couldn't get us four in the van and all the belongings. Joe Cochran, the rest of it was put in the bed of his pickup truck, and he took it to Thaxton for us. And I'm telling you, all we knew to do, I can remember Amanda asking, what are we going to do? And she just beat me to the draw is all it was. And I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to live what I've been preaching all these years. That's what we're going to do. And that next morning, that next morning, getting ready for school, Anna come in there. She was 11 years old. And she looked in some of the, uh, we, we, we had put things in the refrigerator and had put things in cabinets, and there were still some things in bags and boxes. And she got to looking through it and touching the various items. And she said, Mama, she said, uh, she said, we needed the food, didn't we? And Amanda said, yes, Anna, we needed the food. And she said, Mama said, we needed the money too, didn't we? And she said, yes, we needed the money. She said, and God has met our needs at 11 years old. And God, through the goodness of some of these very people sitting right here this morning, fed us. We were able to get our house payment paid ahead, light bill paid ahead. And God has, I could tell you time and again how God has blessed. There have been times where I've given my last dollar because a pastor somewhere I was preaching for would mention the need. Jim, you've given, I know you have, given your last sin at times. And Ronnie Owen, you have too. But I'm telling you, I can't get ahead of God. Can you? I cannot get ahead of him. As a matter of fact, the founder of Quaker Oaks, uh, Quaker Oaks, uh, Crowell is his name. He gave testimony that for decades he had given 60 to 70% of his income back to God through his local church. He said, I'm yet to get ahead of him yet. He's always ahead of me. God blesses Giving, giving. I'm going to bring this to a close. Uh, we, we were preaching this past week on giving. I, uh, anything that I mention here is to the Lord's honor. I started right where I started with us here a few weeks back on storehouse giving. And the pastor told me of one dear brother that was saved some months ago. His name's Scott. He and his wife, I sat back behind them this week. Scott was saved. Scott and Slim would make bosom buddies. He contacted his pastor on Tuesday morning, and he said, uh, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I've been robbing God. And he said, I'm fixing that Sunday. He said, my wife and I sat up last night, and I've been up nearly all night long wrestling with that. He said, I've been robbing God. We may not can give an offering for a while, but we are. We're going to begin tithing this coming Sunday. He said, just so you know. We finished uh, preaching there Sunday night. 
And, of course, there was just a brokenness about the whole service. And a number of people had various needs met and had been dealt with regarding their giving and other aspects of their lives. I sat back in front of where Keith James is seated. Some of my friends from Poplar Springs Baptist Church, a neighboring church, uh, sat on the pew in front of me and the pew behind me. And so I just wanted to sit there close to them, so I sat in the pew between them. And... uh, the invitation continued to go on. There was, there was nothing, there's no pressure put on anybody to do anything. Tate Monday, the song leader, his, he has a brother who pastors up in Tennessee. Tate got up from where he was, walks over where the pastor is, sits down with him. They talk a little bit. And I saw the pastor, he nodded his head, pointed at the pulpit. He comes up here and gets an offering plate, sets it on the communion table, pulls his wallet out, puts something in went back and he sat down by his wife, Natalie. After about five minutes, maybe longer, there was a lady got up out of the congregation. I'm telling you, there's people broken and getting things right with the Lord in their lives, in the altar. A lady got up, made her way down, put a piece of money in, and they just continued to come. There was a line for them, people just giving to an offering that was unannounced. At the end of the service, Brother Taylor Pendle got up before his church and he said, nobody knows this outside my wife and the deacons. I've asked them not to tell anybody, not even their wives. But he said, I've been praying for some time now that we would start a missions account and begin to support missionaries. Whatever comes into that missions account, we give every cent of it out to missionaries. And he said, I feel in my heart that this offering we've received tonight is going to go to that. And I'm going to tell you, they have started giving as of Friday night. And this morning now, to missions, I did everything I could in the fellowship meal. Everybody that got to me, I took time with them and told what God's done in our congregation through missions giving. God blesses, doesn't he? He blesses giving. It's amazing how God can put it all together. But it all starts with living in the offering plate. Living in the offering What a buddy of mine, the Wilders, the Pruitts may know who I'm talking about. He's from Poplar Springs. Uh, We mentioned him for prayer some time back. Sam Bumgarner. Uh, Sam's 11 years old, just shy of being 12. He has, if I'm saying it right, Gillingbar syndrome. He came with his dad and his grandmother and his granddaddy on Monday night, and then he came with his older brothers on Tuesday night. And I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a moment. Uh, Sam hurts uh, quite a bit. The doctors have helped him a bit with his pain, but his balance, it's hard for him to keep his balance because of what he's got. But uh, Sam, um, his granddaddy called me on Tuesday and said, uh, you're going to be around the room where they had me. And I said, I plan to be till service time. When I go off, I'm like a hermit. If you don't believe it, ask Amanda or these pastors I preach to. I take a box full of books and I just stay put and enjoy the peace and quiet. He said, Sam wants to, wants to bring you something. His grandmother, Teresa, um, 
she bakes, if you've been to the camp meeting up there, if you've ever eaten the key lime cake, she's the mother of all that. It's the best cake you'll eat anywhere. Here comes Sam. Danny comes pulling up. He gets out of that Tahoe. And he comes around and he props up on that front fender. And he said, I got you something. 11 years old wants to encourage me. I said, you do? He said, yep, just for you. I said, what you got, Sam? Danny reached in the back seat and got the key lime cake. I did my best to eat the whole thing last week. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. I'd get up. I didn't go to sleep for 2, 2.30 every night. I made over him. I meant to make over him. He said, and I got a question for you. I said, you do? He said, yeah. He said, can I take you out to eat for lunch Friday? I said, you sure can, Sam. It'd be an honor to go eat with you. He took me to Crossroads, best hamburger in North Carolina. He said, I won't take I won't take you. I won't do it for you. Well, his pastor went too, Brother Cody Bullman. They picked me up on Friday. We went out to Crossroads. And Brother Cody and I sitting on one side of the table, his granddaddy Danny and Sam sitting on the other side. We all got through eating, sitting there, just visiting and fellowshipping. And looked like he'd swallowed a light bulb. He said, looked at me and his pastor, and he said, I'm going to tell you all something. Y'all don't have to pay for nothing. I said, not a thing, Sam. He said, no. And I thought the granddaddy was going to reach and get his wallet and hand him a piece of money. And he said, Papa, he said, let me have the bill. And the little fellow got the bill dug down his pocket, here he went to the counter. And Danny said, preacher, he said he wanted to take you out to eat today, and that's his money. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, I didn't give him that money. That's his money. He said, he loves you. And he wanted to buy your lunch before you go back to Mississippi. We get in the vehicle, and I sit in the back seat with him going back toward the room. He pulls out his pocket, looks at what change he had, took a $10 bill, and he threw it over there at me, and he said, here, I want you to have it. And I said, Sam, I can't take that. He said, it's okay. Really, it's okay. I want you to have that. I may get in a dire condition one day and have to spend that $10 bill, but you know what I plan to do with that? I plan to put that in my right desk drawer set behind my desk. Because discouragement comes to all of us. And someday when I'm discouraged, I'm going to pull that drawer open. I'm going to look at Sam Bumgarner's $10 bill. And I'm going to thank God for his grace that he gives the little 11-year-old boys. You never know what your giving will do. I shared that Friday night and the whole congregation melted because everybody knows Sam. Learn to live your life. In the offering plate. Some of the first impressions of giving that was ever made on my life was in our home church. Every now and then a need would be made known. And folk would give to that need. And we'd watch God bless and honor the giving. Let's stand. I'm just going to quit. Let's stand. Miss Angie, if you'll come to the piano, please.